So, uh, I don't know if you're uh, like me, you probably are. You've noticed that in the, or the past few years, it seems like our society continues to spiral further and further away from God. More and more atheistic in its view and its approach and its application of what is okay, what is not. Very little need to have a measuring stick that is God, more of what makes me happy, what makes me feel good, what, you know, meets my momentary need. And it is a condition that even is in the church. And being a Christian may in some places be popular, but it seems to have very little impact. It is uh, a need, I think. So theology, not to be overrun by the word, but to understand the base theology of Christianity is to know and understand God. And the base understanding of God is God's holiness. And I think we have lost maybe some of that and a need to revisit that. So in Isaiah, King uh, Uzziah had ruled for 52 years, a long time. Um, I'll give you a brief history, a little bit. Uh, the guys before him weren't great, so he looked decent, right? And so 52 years, he did some good stuff. If you read in Chronicles, he made them prosperous. They, agriculture and money and business and safety and security and they weren't having any trouble and things were kind of peaceful. And in that environment, those that were devoted to God didn't seem overly maybe uh, anxiety about the state of society because they were at peace. At least their area was at peace. Like nobody was giving them any big grief. The world may be headed to hell, but at least their life wasn't being rocked by the society that was out of sorts. Sound familiar? Then King Uzziah died. So this thing that had been created around them for a while was associated with this man, and politically things had gone awry in the area. Assyria was on the rise. There was a guy, Tiglath-Pileser, you may not, historically you could read about him, but he was on the rise and making uh, an impact, and people were getting afraid politically, and other areas were trying to make alliances to secure themselves. It was everybody for themselves, and there had been a call to weep and to mourn, but the people instead, and you read in Scripture, they said, eat and drink, be merry, for tomorrow we may die. They just changed course and said, you know, just live it up. What the heck? You know, I'd <clears throat> visited with a lady not long ago. It's been a couple of months ago. It, sad. So we all know that the COVID thing kind of wrecked some churches. Uh, visited with a woman whose church had gone virtual just pretty much entirely. And her statement was, I really enjoy doing church in my pajamas. Then, later visiting, her statement was in kind of a disillusioned moment, said, you know what? I need my life to be fun. The king died there were a lot of people who were needing their life to be fun, they thought. And all of a sudden, there was this loss of security. 
Isaiah goes to the temple. It's a great moment. Verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. To read that correctly, and you see the word Lord there in uppercase L, lowercase O-R-D, that's Adonai. In 3, verse 3, it's uppercase L-O-R-D, which is Yahweh. One speaks of his sovereignty, Adonai, he is sovereign. The other speaks of who he is. Uh, In the year that the human king died, I saw the real king. Isn't it good to know that God is still on his throne? That in this moment of a panic in the area, and it would have been panic in the nation because things were shifting out from under them, that God showed himself to still be on his throne. That is important. That in that vision that God gave Isaiah, that he saw him high and lifted up. Our God is sovereign. What does it mean to, uh, to come to that point where you want to see God? Isaiah went to the temple. He, he intentionally went and God showed up. It's, uh, it's good to know that, there, that our existence does not depend upon a human king or leader. But do you attach yourself to the understanding of that? We get pretty caught up in the whole human existence. We get pretty whipped around and twisted side to side by human leadership and human things that we think give us peace or security or but God is God. God is on his throne. It says, the train of his robe filled the temple. His, his majesty was all-encompassing. It filled the temple. And above him stood the seraphim. Here's quite the creature. Each had six wings with two He covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. With two, he flew. Think about that. So God God makes cool stuff. And he made this creature with six wings. Not because he got carried away, because there was a reason, right? That this creation was built to be in the presence of God Almighty, the Lord of hosts. And he had to cover his feet, he had to cover his face, and he had the ability to hover. Well, that's pretty cool. Why did he cover? Why did he cover his feet? And there's a lot of things you could research and study on that. Be good to study that stuff. But we know Moses, the example, when Moses was in the desert there and was shepherding and been there for a long time, and he had covered a lot of ground and walked a lot of places, because that's what they did. It was a day that he walked up and there was a bush on fire. And God spoke to him and said, take off your sandals, you're on holy ground. Now think about Moses thinking, I don't know, I've been here a lot. Like, I just walked this way a lot. Where the presence of God is, it is sanctified. It is holy. Moses had to take off his shoes because God had changed what the existence was around him. 
the seraphim covers his face. And we go to Moses again when Moses knew he was following God's a command to carry out the mission. And God said, I'll be with you. And Moses said, I, I get that. But I really want to see you, God. Like, I really need to see you. This is a big deal in my life. And God said, well, yeah, so here's the deal. I'll make a cleft in this rock and I'll hide you there. And as I pass by, you can get the word there is the, the, the hind quarters, but the afterglow of God. He couldn't handle the presence of God, but he could be in that moment of God passing by. You can't be in the presence of God and live, right? That there's this thing that is separate about God. And these seraphim were built to proclaim it. And what did they proclaim? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Said that they called one to another. These angels, these seraphim, and you just can't conceive maybe what that is. They've got to be massive. And, and they're singing back and forth to one another, holy, holy. Holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Back and forth and back and forth. That is their designated purpose. Wow. Isaiah saw that throne room. You know, what was, what was his response? Was he like, whoo, I'm going to tell you what. Now, I've seen God. I'm getting a new suit. I'm going on the road. I got a new ministry. I'm special now. Or did he say, you know, people really liked me a lot because I'm the prophet, but now they're going to really like me because now I've had a moment. It's all mine and I'm special. Was that his response? When they spoke, the foundations of the temple shook and it was filled with smoke. Hmm. He's seen God, he's seen the seraphim, and the seraphim speak, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And the foundations shake, and it's filled with smoke. Pretty dramatic moment. Pretty special moment. Prophets give oracles. They make pronouncements of blessings and curses. And they say, blessed is this and blessed is that and woe unto them and woe unto that. And Isaiah said, woe unto me. I am lost. I like the better word. I am undone. Woe. He cursed himself. He saw God, was overcome by God's separate awesomeness, and cursed himself. I'm a man of unclean lips. I live in a people of unclean lips. He's a prophet. He's a prophet. He speaks. That's his calling. He speaks. And in coming into contact with the presence of God, he curses himself. You don't see God and live. 
But we need to understand the holiness of God. I don't, I don't think we can completely understand it. I would say that. I, I don't, I, but I think we should try to understand as much of the holiness of God as we possibly can from Scripture. We should pursue understanding the holiness of God. Because without, without understanding the holiness of God, not knowing the fullness, not really pursuing knowing how, what is God's holiness. This is exactly why. This is why in the churches we are shallow. This is, this is why we have impotence in the body of Christ. This is why we're selfish. This is why we're weak. This is why we compromise. This is why we are the worst of all of pragmatists and that we pursue only what pleases us because we don't understand the holiness of Almighty God. The seraphim said, holy, holy, holy. Why did he say it three times? In the Bible, the way they communicated back then, everything was for emphasis, and they would say things twice sometimes. And Jesus would say, truly, truly, verily, verily. They would say, amen, amen. When a rabbinical teacher would teach and they'd get done in agreement, the people would say, amen, amen. And when Jesus spoke, he started out and said, truly, truly, verily. He didn't need people to agree with him. He was the truth. He was the truth. And for, so what's the emphasis here? It's not just holy, holy. It's holy, holy, holy. And nowhere else in Scripture do you hear anything about God that says he's love, 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 peace, 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 wrath, wrath, wrath. None of that. It's not there. He is holy, holy, holy. What does that mean to us? We know the word holiness is separate, unique, set apart. Scripture says, be holy as your Father in heaven is holy. Be set apart. Be separate. But do you even know what that means if you have not come into contact with the holiness of God. That moment where Isaiah says, woe unto me, curse myself, for I am in the presence of a holy God that I do not conceive, and I know I'm wretched. What comes to your mind when you think of God? What, what enters your mind when you think of God? Ideas have consequences. Ideas form the way you process thinking. What comes into your mind when you think about God? A.W. Tozer says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. When you think about God, do you think about, well, God is good to me. He's my friend. Well, that's not wrong. God loves you. Yes, God's merciful to me. He's forgiven me. Yes, he has. It's true. He does. God cares for me. Absolutely. Do you think God is holy, holy, holy? Does that go through your mind? Do you process what that means to you? You know, we were, we were created to, to have awe. Um, have you ever, so I grew up in the Panel of Texas, and it's just real flat, like, like that carpet, flat. And there's no water where I grew up. If it, it rains 11 inches a year, right? So it's semi-desert. I didn't, I didn't know about water, like big water. We'd been to the lake once. And, you know, about the size of Cheney probably is where I'd gone. But I remember the first time I went to the ocean. And I was, I really was overcome, like, and, and fearful. Because it's, it's massive. I mean, most of y'all may know that. You've probably been to the ocean. But I, I spent most of my life, never went there. Then we got to go on a cruise one time. We turned around in the ocean. I'm not sure I like all this, right? Because um, I was in awe of that moment, that thing we were lucky enough to get to go to Switzerland one time and stood on top of the Alps. 
I don't like heights anyways, but, um, but you know, just in all of that thing that is like, wow, we were created to adore God and be in awe of God, but we can't in our sinful state, in our broken sinful state that we're in without the transformation of Christ, we don't understand. We can't be in awe of God and we can't worship him as he deserves to be worshiped. We must, we must pursue understanding. He is holy, 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 and the whole earth is full of his glory. Exodus says that he is glorious. His holiness is glorious. The beauty of God is his holiness. We should spend some time on that maybe. It is, it is the essence of God to us that we don't have that understanding and he will reveal that. But what, what, is, what, what happens to us in that moment? Look in scripture. So there's been lots of moments where people come into contact with God, come into contact with God. Habakkuk was a prophet there and you could read about him, but he had a moment where he really wanted God to make a move. He really wanted God to answer him and do what he'd been asking God to do. And he finally said, I'm just going to sit on my watch, God, and you're going to bring the answer. I know you're going to bring it. I know it's going to affect me, but I want to, I want the answer. And so God answered him. And in chapter 3, 16, he says, when I heard my belly trembled, my lips quivered, rottenness entered into my bones. I trembled in myself that I might rest in the day of trouble. This is not a man who did not know God. But when God answered him, he fell apart. When's the last time you trembled? When's the last time you quivered at the thought of holy God? Job you know the story of Job, and his life went to the test, and his friends had a lot of words for him that were worthless, and he finally said, God, God, what's the deal, God? I want to know, and God, God answered him, right? Where were you when I set the boundaries? Where were you when I created? Where were you? Where were you? And in the end, Job's going, because I, 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 he doesn't have an answer. He says, and you should be quiet, Job, because I'm God. Job, in the end, he says, always had heard about you by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eyes see you. I heard what you were like, now I know. And he says, I abhor myself. I repent in dust and ashes. No one comes into contact with God Almighty that's not devastated by that moment. In Luke 8 and 5, we see, well, I would make this reference in, it is told to us that Isaiah actually, who he saw was Christ. This was a pre-incarnate moment of seeing Jesus. So the disciples hung out with Jesus. And one day, Jesus had been teaching all day long. And he said, hey, let's, uh, let's go to the other side of the lake. Let's see. So they hopped in the boat and they took off and Jesus went to sleep. 
And you know the story, they got halfway out there and the storm hit, and it wasn't a normal storm, and they can have these on the Sea of Galilee, and have these storms whip in through the mountain ranges there. And all of a sudden, these guys who spent a lot of their time on a boat, they feared they were going to die. And they woke Jesus up and said, Lord, we're going to die. They were scared. And they woke him up, right, because he's, because he was going to give them a better way to oar the boat, right? They were going to give them a better way to row it. But they woke him up because he would get them turned around and back to shore. They woke him up because they knew they had great need. And Jesus stood up and he said, that's enough. And it stopped. It didn't, he, he didn't get up and say, all right, hang on, this will take a minute. All right, we're going to calm this down a little bit. He said, that's enough. And it went flat. And the wind was gone. And the disciples stood up and cheered and ran around the boat. Woo! No, they didn't. They said, what manner of man is this? They were more afraid of Jesus at that moment than they were of the storm. Because they saw God Almighty and he did something they could not relate to. He said, that's enough. And it went, Psst. God is holy. He is sovereign. He is in charge. We need to pursue knowing our God. Later, Jesus was <clears throat> teaching and the crowd got really tight to the shore and he stepped into the boat with Peter. Peter and his bunch had been fishing all night and they were mending their nets, you know, taking care of that. I have no idea what that's about, but they, I don't fish, but they were doing all of that work and he stepped in the boat with them and he finished his teaching and he said, hey, Peter, let's go back out into the lake there and you throw your nets down. And Peter always said things that he thought, right? Not always thinking before he said it. But you know, he had a lot of thoughts, probably pretty strong-willed. I'm sure many of us can relate to that. Peter being a professional fisherman, right? He knew what he was doing. I'm sure his thoughts were, dude, we've worked all night. There are no fish. The fish are not there. This is a waste of my time and energies. But he didn't. He said, okay. And they went out. And they throw their nets out. And every fish in that vicinity jumped in their net. And they couldn't get it up. And it was breaking. And as they hauled it in, there was more fish than they could fit in their boat. And they called other people to come and they put more fish in their boats. And Peter said, okay, God, this is great. So Jesus, you come back once a month. And we'll get us a fishing business going because this is awesome. And I'm going to fish most of the month. But you come in one day and we'll make this big, huge haul. And we'll make a, it's not what he said, did he? He said, go away from me, God. Go away from me. What? Jesus had just blessed him in this crazy. He didn't. He couldn't be in the presence of Almighty God. God did something. He had no conception of what that was. And he said, go away from me. God is holy. 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 It devastates us. It devastated the disciples. If you know the story of uh, Manoah, God spoke to him. You're going to have a son, name him Samson. His response was that we shall surely die because we have seen God. You know, people always say, you know, well, if God's so good and God's so loving, why, why do bad things happen? Why do we have such horrible things? Why is there illness? Why is there death? Why do people, you know, lose relationships? If God is love, well, let me tell you, God is love. 
God is love because if God wasn't love, one sin from one person at one moment and it would all be over. He would have just killed it all right there because that's a holy God. But God is merciful and God is loving and God is kind and God does want us to know him. But people want a easy gospel. People want a soft message and a soft God and a tame God and that is not the God of the Bible. That is not your Savior and my Savior. He is holy, holy, holy. And in coming into contact with that, God devastates us, destroys us. The only response to that is a broken and contrite heart. You know, if you don't understand holiness, you don't understand the consequences. You know, we always tell kids, I'm a teacher, so we tell kids, you can choose your actions, you rarely get to choose your consequences. If you don't understand the holiness of God, you don't understand the consequences. Scripture speaks of a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus spoke of it in the Gospels. Why? Why weeping and gnashing of teeth? You thought about that? There's two kinds of people going to end up separated from God for eternity in hell. There are going to be those who show up going, that's right. I knew I hated that God and there's proof now. And I hate him worse and I'll hate him for eternity. And there will be those who show up and go, I knew and I didn't do anything about it. And they will weep for eternity. Who is God? Do you understand his holiness? Have you had your life wrecked by his holiness? And have you responded to his holiness? There's no cheap grace here. Verse 6. Then flew one of the seraphim unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he'd taken with tongs off the altar. He laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin is purged. There's mercy in that, but there's great pain in that, isn't there? Think about that. Your, your lips, we use our lips for the most sensitive touching we do when we kiss the ones we love. The nerve endings are so sensitive. You ever burn your lips? And Isaiah curses himself, and God's answer is, I can purge your sin. But there is pain in this. You know, the Bible doesn't give us a, a description of the agony of that because the acknowledgement of my sin being gone overpowers the agony of getting there. Do you understand? God is merciful. You will be devastated when you say, God, have mercy on me. And that devastation is painful. But the glory of salvation overweighs that by so much that you won't remember that. That it will be the moment that God has saved you. It's uh, true salvation is painful. I believe that. I don't, there's, I get irritated at certain things. 
I try not to be a judgmental person because it's bad, right? Uh, but I've been in groups of people who pursue knowing God, touching God, having this mystical moment with God. I remember talking to this guy one time, and he was talking about, you know, God gave me this vision, and I met Jesus in a meadow, and we held hands, and we skipped along the shore of a lake. I would say, no, you did not. If you came in contact with Jesus Christ, if you were in the presence of holy God, you would have been devastated. Your life would have been wrecked. Your testimony would have been, woe unto me. I'm a man of unclean lips. That is our response to a holy God. It will never be, woo, we're just hanging out and chilling in the pond. No, we're not. God will bless you. God has a life appointed for you to live for his glory. We live in the presence of God under the authority of God to the glory of God. Now you think about that. We live in the presence of God under the authority of God to the glory of God. What does that look like for you and for me? It's really cool. In the end, Isaiah is purged of his sin and then the Lord speaks, and he says, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Isaiah's response is, is, is important. He doesn't say, here I am, God. God knew where he was. He said, here am I. Here am I. Here am I, God. I'm crushed. You can have what's, you can have me. I give you all of me. Here am I, God, send me. Not, not because he attained some kind of degree or diploma or had risen to a spiritual level. You know why it was okay for God to send him? Because he was gone of himself and now he would just be filled with God and now he could fulfill his purpose. You know, God, God calls all of us to, to, to be in a pulpit is, is not a, a blessing. I would tell you that. This is, this is no special person that you, we, as the body of Christ, should speak the gospel wherever we go. God, if he's purged you, if he has saved you, if you're broken and contrite, if you pursue God through the word of God, he will use you to speak the gospel to this world. The, the world desperately needs people who have been touched by the hand of God. You know, we live in a world that is just spinning toward hell. And they have decided, eh, there's God, maybe, I don't know, sure, possibly. So what's the difference? We worked with Indonesian students years ago at WSU. And they became Christians and, and they wanted to start a church and they started a church at WSU. But in, the, in this whole process, one of the men, he, we were in a study one night and he said, you know, it's hard to be a Christian in America. I was like, Really? I said, what do you mean? Because everybody says they're a Christian here. What does that mean? Where's that? We have nominal Christianity in name only. Being a Christian, is it popular? Maybe where you're at. I worked with a man years ago when I first became a coach. I was 21. I was in this small town. And the dude who was the AD, head football coach, he was in charge of everything. He pulls me aside. I'm a young man, so I'm listening. He says, Paul, you need to get involved in a local church here. And you need to do something special in it. He said, I would tell you to get involved at the Baptist church. He didn't know I was raised Baptist. We were already going to go there, right? But he said, you need, because the Baptist church, there's four people there that are on the school board. His entire 
approach to church and Christianity was a political strength for himself as to keep his job. I was astounded. He taught eighth grade boys Sunday school. I was, well, it was shocking to me. That's not weird. That's not abnormal. There may be somebody here today who comes here just because it's a better business decision for you to be here than not be here. You don't understand the holiness of God. We sang a song about I give you my worship because you're worthy of it. You don't understand what's worthy. It is so important that we connect. Here's the, here's the good thing. The cross is that hot coal. Jesus came and he died and his body and his blood were for us and it touches us. And when we come to grips with knowing that God has encountered us and we know we're devastated and we say, yes, Jesus, yes, I need you, I want you. Man, save me, God. He touches us. And long ago in the Bible, a priest had to become ritualistically clean to go before the presence of God. If he didn't, he would just be killed, right? And so he had to do things to be ritualistically clean. So if he touched something, it would infect him. Like if he touched a dead animal, if he was around someone that had a disease, then he couldn't go before God because that had invaded him. The cool thing is, is that God changed that. And when he reached down and when he touched Isaiah, that holiness, that salvation invaded Isaiah and the cross touches us and invades us and purifies us and we're forgiven and we are changed. We become people of living water. Read in scripture, read in the Old Testament how the river, the living water flows throughout the land. Everywhere it goes, it creates green pastures and trees and valleys of beauty. And we're those people. If you've been touched, if you've been changed, we are to be people of living water. Where we live in our homes, we bring life. Where we work, we bring life. Where we drive and hang out, we bring life. God intends for this world to find him. People who understand the holiness of God will profess the truth of God. And there are feasts, and it's not to be meditated on that we just are in agony all the time but without the agony there will be no feast without the devastation there will be no feast God is a good God we've been changed by God